Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this is our companion episode for episode eight of season six of Supergirl titled Welcome Home, Kara, because she is at last home on Earth. And that is partially what we are talking about this episode. We're actually going to compare the events of this episode and kind of generally season six to season three with regard to the very important themes for the show of Kara and being a human versus being a Kryptonian, and then Alex's journey as well, and the ways that they have grown since that season. Hmm. Well, and it was extra fun the way that this episode kind of mirrored that journey in season three because we talk about it all the time. <laughs> so let's start with Kara, of course. Yeah, because you've been just dying to talk about this ever since. Yes, who we have gotten the chance to spend a little bit more time with since during the first seven episodes, Melissa was like half on maternity leave and now the character has returned to the show in full force. So Kara as a character, we know to have this core struggle of like humanity versus her Kryptonian side, Kara Danvers versus Supergirl versus Kara Zarel. And season three was a pretty big season in terms of advancing that narrative and that growth for the character. And it started in a pretty dark place for Kara, who in season two at the end had put Monel in her pod, she thinks, to die and made that sacrifice for the good of Earth. And that then in season three brings out the darker side of Kara's beliefs stemming from that origin trauma with losing Krypton to the surface. The belief which is Kara was and always will be abandoned so that she can protect others. It's sort of the dark side of the I survived to protect others mm. that we we see Kara embody in more positive ways and then also, you know, some negative ways. But in season three, this belief for Kara is proved by the loss of Manel, who had sort of represented home to her because he was a Daxamite and their culture was fairly similar to Kryptonians in some ways. And he knew about her planet and his planet also had died. And so when she loses him, she gives in to that belief that she was abandoned, always will be abandoned so that she can protect others and gives into the idea that I am not human. And that idea serves three functions, which are like to protect Car from pain, that sort of Car Danvers sucks right now <laughs> that we see in the first episode of season three. Mm -hmm. It serves to punish Kara because she thinks that she killed Manel and made that sort of cold decision. And then the other side of that being her being like, I'm better than human in order to push back against that. Mm. And then the third thing being that Kara thinks that there's an exchange to be made and she's picking the thing that she prioritizes. And that exchange being like protecting others over being happy or being not alone. Which I thought that was really interesting the way you put that in your notes for this week about Kara, because I said something very similar last week when we were talking about Alex's trajectory for the series and how she has the similar thought that mm -hmm. there's a price to be paid for mm -hmm. feeling happy or that if she is happy, something bad will happen. Right. Like if she takes a step toward happiness, something will be subtracted <laughs> yeah. from her life. And Kara sees it as kind of like an either or, but in a different way. Yeah, where she's like, I have to make the sacrifice myself to do this thing that I think I need to do, which is protect others. And so there are these three sort of possibilities surrounding Kara's abandonment issues and that origin trauma, which are that she survived to protect others that she was abandoned to protect others, the sort of glass half empty <laughs> version. And then there's this fear that she failed to protect others or will fail to protect others. And that drives a lot of Kara's actions, specifically in season three. She says to Jean, I can't help people if I'm broken. Kara in season three thinks that she can't be vulnerable or she won't be able to be here that she's supposed to be. That's the perspective that she takes in that season. And her family members make the argument that actually Kara needs Kara Danvers, that identity, and those like personal connections that Kara Danvers has and those vulnerabilities specifically in order to be an effective hero. We even see this in Midvale when Kara like needs to just go to school. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah and be like a human for a little while or else she won't have like education and won't be an effective hero and so Kara's family and friends motivate Kara to get better for instance we see like Alex say Kara Danvers is my favorite person she saved me more times than Supergirl ever could Jean says you saved me remember that was Kara Danvers not Supergirl she even goes back to Kako because Lena needs her help she feels guilty in Midvale because if she were more obvious about getting better, maybe Alex would have hope. So she's very much driven by this like, oh, I have to get better because if I don't, then the people around me will suffer or I won't be as good of a hero and be able to help people in the way that I'm supposed to. And then we get to Triggers, which is... I think the most in season three direct episode equivalent of 608, Welcome Back, Kara, establishing some of the things that we see for Kara in this episode. Yeah. So thinking back to season three, that's probably the time we see the most explicit PTSD symptoms in Kara related to her experience of leaving Krypton. We actually get to see into her head a little bit because she's triggered by the attack from Psy to start reliving kind of what happened when she left in her pod. Mm. And we learned that she's had a history of claustrophobia and panic attacks after arriving on Earth because of the things that happened to her when she was trapped in the Phantom Zone specifically. Mm-hmm. And we also find out in season three that she was awake and aware within her pod while she was in the Phantom Zone, which then worked nicely as a setup for this being a really traumatic experience for Kara here in season six. Right. And that was all in the Triggers episode. <laughs> yeah. Like all within that one. Your very favorite episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And within the beginning of season three, we see Kara put off addressing her feelings and her fears for such a long time that her initial grief over losing Monel and the responsibility that she feels for it eventually grows into a genuine depressive episode where you see her have this kind of flatter affect. You know, she doesn't smile at things that normally would make her happy. Mm-hmm. She's irritable all the time. We see this lack of enjoyment in her with things that normally she would be enjoying or excited about, like having food, stickers. spending time with her friends. Yeah, And this kind of comes to a head in that episode Triggers 302, where first Alex and then kind of the rest of Kara's Earth family start pushing back on the ways that she's gradually more and more isolating herself. Mm-hmm. And within that episode, she spends the entire time trying to avoid admitting how she's been affected by Psy. And Alex and then Wynn are slowly chipping away at the wall of feigned okayness. Uh, <laughs> each of them are getting pieces of what's really going on underneath. Yeah. She's dismissing claustrophobia as like a human problem, tying back in that like human versus alien distinction she's making. She hides the panic attack that she has from Alex and like only tells Wynn because it's useful for him to defeat Psy. <laughs> and when he tries to comfort her after she does go to like a dark place when she's talking about the traumatic vision that she saw, mm. she like immediately <laughs> walks away and's like, I'll be fine. She's like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. And what I find interesting about that within the context of the season six episode is the way that Carr's fear in Triggers moves from being about her personal trauma. Like it's the darkness of space is the first thing that she sees. Like we just see kind of stars and like a lens flare. <laughs> and then the next fear vision that she sees because of Psy is the day that her planet exploded and the way that she watched it happen in her mm-hmm. pod and leaving her mother. And then the final sort of episode with Psy in Triggers when she has, you know, the biggest emotional reaction, we have this big reveal that she thought that she killed Manel in the manner of the worst experience of her life. And in that moment, she's sort of believing fully the fear that she kind of hinted at in the first episode of season three, which was that she'd killed Manel. And she says to Alex, I killed him. I killed him over and over again, which harkens back to, you know, Carr as a character, say in season one, waking up after the Red K incident and being like, immediately, did I kill anyone? And that's her first priority. And then being the most upset when she sees that she broke Alex's arm during that incident. And the way that Alex gets through to Kara in Triggers is by asserting that, in fact, she didn't fail and, and kill mm-hmm. Monel. She saved him. 
like her parents saved her. Sort of reframing the narrative that Kara had wrapped herself up in. Well, that's kind of an interesting reframing, knowing that in season one, Kara, it was after she was talking about how Astra must have gone crazy in the Phantom Zone mm. and saying that both she herself and her aunt had been given a life sentence, essentially. Yeah. So like she didn't die, but it sure wasn't great. <laughs> it sure wasn't great. <laughs> yes. And so for Kara, despite her trauma and the very important like personal fears that she has for her own safety, the most important thing for her, the thing that she focuses on tends to be protecting others and it shows up in like maybe not burdening them and it shows up in trying to keep them physically safe and it sometimes is to her own detriment but by the end of season three she is taking healthier steps like by choosing to go to Argo for some undetermined period of time just because she wants to and she wants to feel like she's at home but then choosing Earth as her home again because that's the right choice for her and we see her in season four and season five also take steps regarding like the weight of the world on her shoulders in assorted different ways, which builds up to the situation in season six where Kara is dealing with being in the phantom zone and living through that trauma. And, you know, she wakes up on Earth and is immediately like, I don't want to talk about it, <laughs> which is typical for Kara. And understandable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, also true. But it mirrors that situation in Triggers where she is reluctant to open up to her loved ones. But in this episode, in season six, she tries to move forward to the happy things <laughs> as opposed to being this very like serious business mode Kara in season three. And it's funny because Kara actually mentions in the Triggers episode that she also tried that strategy after mm. she lost Monel, but it didn't help her at that point because she was genuinely depressed and it wasn't, you know, like a temporary grief thing where doing stuff that usually makes you happy or that reminds you of your loved one tends to actually make you feel better. Mm -hmm. Kind of like we see in season six with Alex consoling herself with the hologram crystal, mm -hmm. whereas, you know, Kara, nothing was making her feel better at that point. Yes. So season six in this episode, it is different, though, which we can see right away, mm -hmm. even though Kara is using some of the same maybe like avoidance strategies at first. One of the things that you and I talked about when we were prepping this episode was Kara is, as always, very conscious of her role as Supergirl and as a leader. And she knows the whole team just went through this whole ordeal to get her back. And she's even in her suit still when she's woken up. Mm -hmm. So she's already got in mind, okay, people are waiting to see me. They need to know that I'm okay. I need to project some kind of strength. Mm -hmm. And her behavior in the tower when she goes out to see everyone, it actually reminded me a lot of how she acts in the closing scene in the Black Mercy episode in season one after she goes back to her loft and her friends have brought her, as she delightfully exclaims, her comfort foods. <laughs> and she just kind of wants to put everything behind her and just try to have things be okay. And partially also because she just wanted to be able to enjoy a little bit being reunited with these people that she loves instead of dwelling on the things in her life that are very sad and scary. Yes. Well, and then like the Black Mercy episode, her work at CatCo is important to Kara and she immediately goes right back to it, which is different from in season three. Yeah. So what's kind of fun in this episode is that it's kind of similar to the start of season three where she's going through this similar trauma where she gets tasked to interview Supergirl. <laughs> While in the midst of her own issues that are going to get in the way of that. And both times she's like, uh, no, <laughs> but with very different energies, because, of course, mm -hmm. you know, James is in on the secret. And so she can be like, it'll get there when it gets there. Um, <laughs> and she can't get away with that with Andrea because she can't explain why this assignment to write about the phantom attacks is so upsetting personally to her right. mm -hmm. and then there's the other piece which is like we see repeatedly throughout this episode that her writing assignment is super triggering for her in mm -hmm. all of the ways as she lays out at the beginning of the episode yeah and car doesn't really give herself emotional recovery time in a real way <laughs> she's kind of like i better go back to work i mean it's not totally different from what she was doing while she was in the phantom zone mm. trying to keep positive and avoid like negative looming fears in order to 
in a way, survive and push forward. And you think about the Catco situation that is important to her where she's like, got to keep her job. <laughs> yeah. So there is an element of like, I better return that makes sense. <laughs> but also maybe you could have taken a day. That would have been all right. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing about that that's kind of interesting, though, is that as Kara's matured throughout the series and had more time to reflect on her experiences of losing Krypton and getting stuck in the Phantom Zone the first time, hmm. the ways that she has these trauma reactions, kind of like the PTSD symptoms, mm -hmm. have changed with her and with her understanding of her own experiences. So in season three, we see her having these very serious, genuinely debilitating panic attacks that are very big and obvious to the audience. And mm -hmm. whereas in season six, she's definitely still having some very mm -hmm. intense internal responses. Obvious, like triggers. Yeah. But her reactions are much smaller and subtler and they're more controlled in part because she's acknowledged at least to herself in this episode that she's not totally over it. Like, she's not okay. And <laughs> even though she maybe isn't going to say it out loud, she at least knows it for herself. Like, that it's yeah. something she can't just power on through. Yeah. It's not quite, you know, six months of, like, repressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there is this constant, which is that fear that Kara has of, like, failing to protect others. Where she realizes that while she was gone, phantoms got loose on Earth and attacked people and like possessed them. And so she says to Nia, so all these people suffered because of me. And here it's the hardest for her within the episode, at least when she's like intentionally trying not to have an obvious triggered reaction to keep her composure. Mm, yeah. And she, you know, we see her like staring at the list of people who were hurt by the phantom. Yes. Once she finds out about it, we see her doing her due diligence as a journalist, but it also has that vibe of like when you get bad news and you Google every WebMD article that's ever been written about it because she's pulling up, you know, half a dozen different <laughs> accounts of what happened. She's doom scrolling. There it is. She also can read fast, so <laughs> gets that negative news very quickly. And she ends the episode like staring at the National City Faces Its Worst Phantoms article headline that she's written. So it's sort of haunting her <laughs> like a phantom might. And so in season three, we have Carr have this fear vision about the idea that she has killed Manel. And then in 607, Kara is overcome with fear because the phantom scratches her and she says, my friends think that basically they can fix things too. And they're just going to die because of it. So Kara's here reliving like the worst experience of her life in terms of like trauma and the way that she was trapped in the phantom zone, as she says, reliving her planet exploding for a decade she's back to that place and now she's being tormented by phantoms which literally you know bring her fears forth and the thing that she fears the most is that she has failed to fix things and that her friends will die because of her and and she feels that responsibility still and that's the part that still hits the hardest in season six but then we have the final scene with Kara and Alex, where after this episode full of Kara avoiding triggers and, and trying not to think about the phantoms and her drama, we see her sitting quietly, you know, agonizing over that article. And Alex sits down next to her and Kara kind of abruptly starts to describe how horrible the phantom zone was. She says, it was so cold in there, so empty. Which mirrors then the conversation she had with Wynn in season three in Triggers, mm -hmm. where she yeah. said, it was so quiet. The silence was the worst part. I felt completely cut off from everything and everyone I have ever known. But unlike in season three, she talks to Alex without any like prompting or like prodding or like coaxing. And, you know, Alex sees that she's getting upset in that scene and stops her like, no, you don't have to talk about this. And Car is like, no, I want to. I need to. And she decides to continue to open up about it of her own volition, which is quite a distinction from that season three episode. Mm, yeah. And then there's this pause and then a nice bit of familiar music, which we'll talk about. And Kara says to Alex, I don't want to be alone anymore. 
And so this line stood out to me because it strikes me as not just about like no longer hiding how she feels in this episode or no longer being in the phantom zone and, and just wanting to be with people. It's about a feeling that she carries with her all the time and those fears of abandonment that she has and that belief I was abandoned to protect others. And that feeling is hard to push down in season three. She says, like you mentioned to Alex, everything that used to make me feel good, like a relief, it's disappeared, which implies that there's something to be relieved from, like all the time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and Carr throughout the series says like emptiness, darkness, a hole or, or a pit to describe the threat that the emptiness of space poses from that time alone that she spent after her planet died. And also the feelings of loneliness inside of Kara, that bit of the phantom zone that still lives with her. But then conversely, we see Kara talk about stars and in the Midvale flashback says to Kenny how she thinks that they're families, just like they have on Earth, the lights in the sky. And in season one, Kara is talking to Kat on the balcony after the Red K incident at one of the lowest points for Kara in the series. And she says, to me, every person in the city is a light. And every time I help one of them, a little bit of their light becomes a part of me. And so we have this imagery where light is connection and helping other people is a form of connection contrasted with the darkness and the loneliness and the emptiness of space. And then also just this weight that Kara holds within herself as she lives her life. Hmm. And we see that weight within Kara in this episode in season six, where she's sitting in front of the laptop on the floor with the same kind of body language that she had in the Phantom Zone when she was overcome with the fear vision and kind of just sitting there still with her arms to her side and alone. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> And there's more. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> and so this line, I don't want to be alone anymore, while very sad, is also quite hopeful for Kara, where she's making basically the opposite judgment that she made in season three, which is that it's okay for her to be vulnerable and to not want to feel alone. <laughs> it's okay to reach out and burden others and try to be happy and not only focus on protecting others 24-7. Well, and also, we don't mean burden like that. It actively is a burden for her to mm -hmm. reach out to other people, but just she has always felt like it is. Right. Yes. She's working on that. <laughs> She's working on it. Yeah. Well, here we see that she wants to change that feeling of mm -hmm. loneliness. Yeah. Like actively wants to do something about it, which is different in that very deliberate way. And there's this bit of music that plays when she says, I don't want to be alone anymore. Which is called You Will Have It All. And it first appears in the season three episode, Both Sides Now, when Kara is telling Alex that she'll have all the things, <laughs> which are at the time romantic love and a kid. And subtextually, that is the way that Alex struggles with balancing her personal wants versus maintaining what other people want. So here in season six, Alex is supporting Kara through her decision to go after what she wants, which is, you know, to not be alone. And Alex says, you are not alone. You've got me. Reiterating our favorite scene of all time. <laughs> yes, the trigger scene, which is Kara saying, and if I don't have Supergirl, what do I have? And then Alex does a little shrug and she says, you got me. And Kara has this nice smile and says, I know that, silly. But in season three, Alex scoots over to Kara for a hug and the scene ends there. In season six, we see Kara sort of shifting her body language from that very similar to the Phantom Zone body language that she had a minute ago to be closer to Alex. And they continue talking about it and going deeper into how Kara feels in the ways that she was not addressing how traumatic the experience of being in the Phantom Zone was for her. Which is, you know, pretty big progress for Kara. And, you know, it begs the question, how did she get here? 
Yes, so this was another kind of fun thing that appeared a lot in this episode, and that reinforced some things that came up a bunch in season three as well about Kara's identity as Kryptonian, her identity as Kara Danvers, a person of Earth, (laughs) and her relationship with knowing that now both of her parents are alive Mm -hmm. and that she can still see them or talk to them if she needs to. So the cool thing that we saw in season six that mirrors season three is that in both cases, when Kara is reunited with one of her parents, she gets these assurances from them that either reiterate or support things that her family on Earth has been trying to convince her the whole time. Mm -hmm. So in season three with Alora, she expresses how glad she is that Kara found a family that loved her and took her in. And then when Kara goes to Argo, Alora tells her... It's okay to take time to think of herself Mm -hmm. and her own needs and wants, which was almost verbatim what Alex told her before (laughs) she left. And Mm -hmm. then thinking about that within the context of season three, where we saw the flashback of teenage Kara and Midvale saying, this will never be home Mm -hmm. about the Danvers family and just Earth generally. She says, I hate it here, even. Mm -hmm. The conclusion to season three after she goes to visit Argo and sees her childhood friends and her mom is that Earth is her home and she wants to be back there. (laughs) And so then we see something very similar with Zor-El's reunion with Kara and then him getting to see what her life is like. On Earth, he has this very sweet moment with her where he says, sometimes, even though you're Kryptonian, it's okay to be human, (laughs) which was that thing that Kara was so resisting in season three. And that note from Zorel was actually very similar to something Jean said to Kara in the season three premiere, (laughs) where they're standing and Kara's trying to pretend that she has no feelings. And... (laughs) Jean reminds her, you have a human heart now. It aches, it scars, but it keeps on beating. If you try and cut it out, you will lose something essential. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Kara sort of accepted that at the time. But now mm-hmm. that dad has said it's OK, it's actually OK. <laughs> yeah. Zarel also says, it's not the great line in terms of Kara's like mental health <laughs> and things we want her to hear. You don't need to carry the weight of this world or any world on your shoulders every moment of every day. And what I enjoyed about this in particular was that it wasn't, you don't need to carry the weight of this world or any world. It didn't stop there. It continued on to be every moment of every day mm-hmm. because... It's not about rejecting this role. It is about balance and giving yourself room to be a person, to be, you know, quote unquote, human. Yeah. And with that, we see even in this transition back to Earth after something really horrible, Mm -hmm. that Kara is much more at ease with the idea of Earth as her home in season six than she was in season three. And that said, this episode then also had this really cool subtext where it worked as a repatriation story, which, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, is the story of someone who's returning to their own country or their home after an extended time away. So in a way, similar to many expat return experiences, so let's say studying abroad or working overseas for a while, Kara goes through a lot of readjustment struggles in this episode in a way that specifically fits this narrative of repatriation coming back to your homeland, essentially. Mm. And the first one is on the front of kind of just the personal difficulties of going through this experiences. So one of the big hallmarks of expat difficulties with transitioning back home is that everyone around you is so excited that you're back, but they're ready for you to just jump right back into your so-called normal life again, mm-hmm. assuming that maybe you don't need a lot of time to refamiliarize yourself with your surroundings, with the cultural touchstones, because there's this assumption that, you know, this is your home, so everything should already be familiar. Mm -hmm. And it's in a way that doesn't acknowledge that you've been gone for a while and maybe that things have changed about you as a person. Mm. We see this really nicely in the scene with the kind of welcome back reunion, which the writers had said they ended up restructuring to give it more emotional weight within the episode. And it definitely has that in a very lovely way. Mm. But when we see Kara's friends coming up individually and all welcoming her back, They're very supportive, obviously, because they know, you know, Cara (laughs) just went through something difficult. But they're also all focused with their words 
on what Kara's return means to them and mm-hmm. kind of how it contextualizes their own experiences in a way that isn't necessarily invitational right. for Kara to share any of her own experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not exactly like like a selfishness. No, it's more so a I'm sharing how important you are to me, but it doesn't serve as that entryway for Kara in terms of connecting and giving her space to like become a person again. <laughs> yeah. And then kind of following along from that, Kara just jumps right back into being Supergirl and being a reporter mm. without considering that maybe she needs more time to readjust to reentering those spaces because she does encounter almost immediately in all of those situations things that are emotionally triggering from being in the Phantom Zone and that are also just like different in a weird way that she has to get like the lay of the land on, especially at work. Mm. And also just more generally, things in National City have changed while she's gone. She needs to catch up on that, which is a very common experience that people have when they return from being overseas. Mm. Like she didn't know that the Phantoms attacked National City, which is like a pretty (laughs) big deal. And is mildly horrified. (laughs) Mildly. Yeah, only a little. And then specifically, she runs into a lot of issues with readjusting in her workplace, which is another very common source of difficulty when you do transition back from being away for a while. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that people might experience is social isolation or feeling a loss of status because they've been gone for a while, especially in like a competitive industry. Mm -hmm. And so you see like Andrea's annoyed at her as soon as she finds out that Kara doesn't have a story because she's expecting Kara as one of her award-winning journalists to be presenting her with material that will raise the value of the company. And then when that's not there, she's very cold and annoyed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then Kara also finds out that William has moved on since she was gone. And that was something, you know, she'd been worrying about leaving him hanging. And she doesn't quite know what to make of that, although she is really very gracious with it. (laughs) The other part, Mm -hmm. you know, she finds out in her absence, Andrea has changed the direction for Catco and <laughs> is pursuing story ideas that are directly related to the trauma Kara just went through and then assigning her to write them. <laughs> you know, as you do. Always the best stories That's, for Kara. Yeah, those hard hitting, difficult pieces that Kara would be super good at if they weren't making her cry inside. Uh, <laughs> and then another component of kind of repatriation challenges is having your experience maybe devalued or overlooked because people don't understand that what you went through was meaningful in a way that's relevant to your role in your job. Mm. And so even though Andrea obviously doesn't know that Kara was like in the Phantom Zone, (laughs) Nia did give a cover story in which Kara actually was abroad, like following this person in a fairly dangerous situation And Andrea just completely ignores that there might have been any value to that experience (laughs) beyond the fact that there's no story. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't care that it might have been difficult for Kara, you know, even though it wasn't real. Like, yeah, there's just no thought about Kara at all other than how it's immediately relevant to Andrea's goals at CatCo. And that's something that, you know, Kara is actually experiencing on almost all fronts at the moment, Mm -hmm. with one exception. That we will talk about in a little while. <laughs> yes. But, you know, Kara's going through all of these challenges. However, it's actually a positive thing, kind of our bittersweet theme that we have going on here. <laughs> yeah. That Kara is struggling to readjust right now because it means that she's expecting Earth to be her home in a comforting and a familiar way. Which is really important because for so long she was resisting and kind of rejecting the idea that this was home. Yes. I mean, if you consider season three where Kara had a similar experience with Argo where she was then attempting to make Argo her home. Here in season six, there's an assumption for Kara like, you know, this is the place. Yeah. And also she wants that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to contrast with how she was, you know, so looking forward to being just Kara on Argo, but then the whole experience Mm -hmm. stressed her out so much that she like didn't want to stay uh, <laughs> and there's no pizza so like yeah, what's the point you know exactly and then she couldn't live without pizza but to kind of go back to the speaking of Argo to kind of reinforce this point we see throughout this episode 
you know, 608, that as much as she's glad to spend time with her father and that mm-hmm. she's happy that she reunited with him, she's not like longing to go journey with him to Argo when he leaves at the end of the episode. <laughs> no. She's not even passing along, you know, like messages for her mom. Mm-hmm. Like there's no sense that there's a part of her that wants to be there. She's like, this is where I am. I am home now. I'm with the people who will make me feel better. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's good. So Zorel and Alora reappearing, like you said, served to reassure Kara in her choices with regard to where her home is. And also with regard to, you know, not having to hold the weight of two worlds on her shoulders all of the time. And and they give Kara that space. But at the same time, you know, in season six, we see these beliefs don't just go away because her parents say so. You know, discovering that they are alive doesn't undo the years that she spent traumatized by the loss she experienced living without her biological parents. Just like Kara learning that they have failed to live up to their shared values doesn't mean that Kara doesn't believe in those values anymore. Mm. The beliefs that she has are hers now, which means that now that they're supporting her and and she doesn't have to worry so much like how they would feel about, you know, what she's decided to do with her life, she gets to just decide for herself how she feels about these beliefs and and to make new kinds of progress like we see with, you know, Kara letting herself be human Mm. in this episode in season six. And just like Kara has moved beyond, and just like Kara has moved beyond what Zorel and Alora want for her, Alex also can't choose this for her, like she says in the Black Mercy episode in season one. No matter how much Alex kind of wishes that she could make things easier for Kara. Yeah. Oh, our sad kids in this episode. <laughs> Truly. Oh, man. So within this episode, as I said before, there was kind of one exception to everyone being like, Kara's back. Let's all move on. Yay. Which was Alex <laughs> in a very appropriate for her new identity as Sentinel Way. Oh. She's the most attuned by far to Kara's quiet upset throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. And this is in part because the first we see of her, she is sitting next to Kara's bed waiting for her to wake up, which is similar to what we've seen in previous seasons, like, you know, Kara's coma time in season three. <laughs> and therefore, because she's with Kara in that moment, she's present to see that Kara was not, as Jean hopefully suggested, <laughs> resting peacefully <laughs> while she was under the no. sun lamps and instead was having a horrible nightmare. Uh, yes. Which is fine. Kara and sleep, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough time. It is. And then we see after Kara wakes up and she is scared. And it reminded me a little bit of in season four when she wakes up inside the anti-kryptonite suit and starts panicking. Uh. Alex is mostly just listening and trying to respond to Kara's needs rather than addressing her own feelings about what it was like right. having had Kara be gone. And then we have Kara make the adorable request for an extra hug that just wounded me emotionally in all the right ways. Yes. Yes. Especially because Kara and hugs has a rich history. Mm -hmm. Which I think we talked about actually when we did her series arc in our last episode. Yeah. Where Kara went in for that one more hug, you know, Mm. as Krypton was dying. And then that sent her pod off course because it was delayed just enough that the explosion from the planet pushed her into the phantom zone and that sort of representing you could say Kara wanting to have that humanity that like connection Mm. with someone and then that resulting in like a failure to protect and, and fill that expectation of being extraordinary and throughout the series we see hugs sort of represent to Kara that kind of longing for connection. Mm. Like when she says, I'd ask for a hug to the Allura hologram. And the Allura hologram is like, I can't do that. I'm hologram, Kara. And the story that she tells about letting Eliza hug her for the first time, because Eliza says that her mother would have wanted her to be loved. Mm. And, you know, the first thing that she does when she sees Allura kind of naturally is hug her (laughs) when she discovers she's alive. And the first thing she does when she sees Alex in episode seven of the season is the super speed hug (laughs) and for Kara hugs that's that one way that she can solve for this issue of like I don't want to be alone (laughs) feelings and I think it's important actually that Kara does vocalize that early on in the episode and kind of as a sign of things to come 
she asks for that connection. Well, and she does it again at the end of the episode as well. Yes. But because of the, the weight of the fact that Kara is asking for all of that mm. within a few seconds of being awake again, and she was so upset when she first stepped into the ship, mm-hmm. you see Alex throughout the entire welcome back kind of low-key celebration. Alex stays in the background just kind of observing everything in order to make sure that Kara's okay and not being maybe overextended or overburdened Mm -hmm. by anything everybody else is saying or doing. Yes. So this sort of sets Alex up in the episode to be a protector of Kara where she's... You mean she does that? (laughs) Yes. Wow. I never knew this. (laughs) I have written that she becomes a sort of co-conspirator in keeping Kara from experiencing pain in this episode because Kara at first is also like, I don't want to talk about that. Mm, Yeah. And when she says that at the beginning of the episode after waking, Alex is quick to agree. Like, yeah, (laughs) you don't have to. Well, that's what you're supposed to say when someone's like, this thing is triggering to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that is a (laughs) correct and normal reaction. But then in the group scene, the welcome back party, Brainy mentions the Phantom Zone and Alex immediately looks to Kara to see what her reaction is like. And it is pretty much what it's not great. It's not great. And she changes the subject. And then Alex goes another step further, (laughs) which is getting all the super friends to not tell Kara that there were phantom attacks on Earth while she was gone. Which is an extra level when you consider that most of them were also attacked by the phantoms when that happened. Mm. Ooh, that's interesting, yes. Yeah. And Alex is sort of falling back on old patterns in the way that we see Kara do initially in this Mm -hmm. episode, where it's like, this idea that secrets protect people that she shares with both of her fathers, yes, <laughs> Jeremiah and Jean. And then at the end of this episode, when Kara starts opening up about her time in the Phantom Zone, Alex like stops her and says, you don't have to talk about this, okay? And Kara's like, no, but I really should. <laughs> I really should, yes. And then Alex ends up apologizing and saying, and I'm so sorry because all I wanted to do is just shield you from any more pain that I just didn't even think. Sort of not doing that sometimes typical Damper Sisters thing of like pushing past the resistance that the other sister is giving, mm. <laughs> like Kara barging into yeah, your apartment. very favorite example. <laughs> it's just it's very visceral, like example of Kara's tendencies. But then also in season three, Alex. Yeah. Coming in in the premiere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that line that she says that she wanted to shield Kara from any more pain reminded me of the line in season one, episode 13, the Black Mercy episode, where Alex says, I can't promise you a life without pain and loss because pain is a part of life. And that part of that is an essential like lesson for Alex throughout the years, <laughs> which is to do with like, you can't actually protect your loved ones from all the pain they're going to experience. You have to kind of let yourself trust <laughs> that they will take care of themselves or that they'll be okay in the end. And I think it's interesting in this episode the way that Alex tries to protect Kara in the way that she might protect herself. Mm, Yeah. That tendency of like, I should have just kept my mouth shut. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That Alex has and that (laughs) repression also, which is another familiar pattern. But again, this is different from in season three, where Alex was trying to get Kara to talk about her feelings after months of Kara feeling nothing. And I think part of why that is different is just because Alex is also traumatized from her sister almost dying, like constantly. (laughs) That one time she actually did die. And then this most recent period where she was so low about it and and really thought that there was no hope. And for like an extended period of time, even the period where Kara did die only lasted a certain amount of time. But Alex makes progress in this episode as well. Yeah, she sure does. (laughs) I've said this before and Kara actually alluded to it a little bit in season three as well. But (laughs) Alex and Kara tend to go through kind of adjacent emotional journeys Mm -hmm. as characters, but they also tend to take turns being the one who's down and the one who's, you know, the shoulder to lean on. Right. 
And it seems like they're setting up the goal of this season to be for them to get better genuinely at sharing their space Mm. in a mutually beneficial way where they can both be going through something hard and be there for each other, even though neither of them has resolved their problems. Right. And this actually fits really nicely into the context of what we've seen so far in season six, because they had that really great episode 604 where they had those parallel hero moments while they were separate from each other but still kind of linked by this value of wanting to help people and um here within 608 we see alex give herself permission to take up space with her own feelings kind of in the way everyone else did at the beginning of the episode Mm. but not in a sense of like i'm gonna say this and then make you feel like you can't keep talking about what's bothering you Mm -hmm. it was more like hey i know this was really hard for you it was hard for me too how can we figure out you know how to make each other feel better yeah and she shares her feelings not to just like teach Kara like a bit of the wisdom that she's gained from from almost losing her because she has not gained any wisdom from that (laughs) (laughs) no but their dynamic is usually something like that where like Kara's like I've gotten better you know you'll be okay yeah for Alex it's I'm sad too but we'll figure it out and Kara you know summarizes this sentiment with healing together (laughs) yes a nice play on stronger together (laughs) they'll get there they'll get there All right. So that was our big kind of examination of the emotional growth that these main characters have had from Mm -hmm. the last time we saw a really intense traumatic thing in season three for Kara (laughs) and also Alex and now. Mm -hmm. But we do have a few kind of little things that we enjoyed in this episode that didn't quite fit into that category. So the first one was this little silly issue with Alex's hand that appeared in the (laughs) final scene of the episode. They didn't really explain why. And it didn't seem like Alex got injured in the fight scene. So it's possible that maybe Kyler was just injured. But Mm -hmm. Alex had like an ace bandage on her hand. And that was why she was like, oh, I can't get the wine open. I'm not going to be able to eat with these chopsticks. It's going to be a hot mess. Uh, (laughs) And so once we realized that, it made a lot more more sense as to why she was doing all of those things and it was just really cute yes with her doing the drums at the end Mm -hmm. yes the owner of the hand of the soldier was having some hand troubles i'm surprised she couldn't use her gauntlet to create some adaptive chopsticks for herself (laughs) oh she should have been showing off over there She'll show Kara. Yeah. <laughs> well, at first I didn't notice the bandage on her hand and I was like, why would they be setting her up to ask Kara to do the bottle cork trick from season one? This isn't like a happy situation. And then I was like, oh. Alex is really misreading the room. <laughs> I was Kara's like, oh, sitting there all right. devastated this makes looking. much more sense now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then Cycles, you forgot to put on this list. Your beloved son, Trash Monster. Trash Monster. New fan favorite, everyone. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm announcing it. (laughs) It was really delightful. Trash Monster, which is our affectionate nickname for Oscar. He was the sort of anthropomorphized version of the pollution issue in the oceans, which I appreciated the plot for this episode in that regard, because it was quite silly, obviously, with the giant trash monster. (laughs) Yes. But it was also this mix of like, okay, we genuinely can't just use our super smarts or like tech skills or alien technology or super strength or powers to fix like issues that are systemic yeah. <laughs> problems. It's actually harder than that, which was sort of the the central theme of the episode mm-hmm. being like the only way out is through. Like you have to put in the work and it takes time and it's messier than you would like it to be, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with any of the things that she's been doing and it will not come back to bite her at any point. <sighs> but then they also have the fun like trash monster and then Kara throwing (laughs) the giant hunk of trash into the sun which is just a funny nice balance for like a societal monster of the week type episode that still has those elements of like oh if only we could do this fun superhero thing that would be a cool thing to do but also like that actually wouldn't fix things (laughs) in a grounded way and I'm looking forward to maybe seeing more Mm. like this maybe not in trash monster form exactly (laughs) but on other topics maybe yeah 
Well, and speaking of trash monster, which I appreciate that we <laughs> clocked that from like the one second it appeared in the trailer, and we're like, well, he's our son. <laughs> there he is, and we love we him. We love him. Yeah. <laughs> um, number one, really cute that he was named for Oscar the Grouch. Mm-hmm. Definitely deserved. <laughs> and number two, there's been like a musical theater vibe throughout this season so far, mm-hmm. and this particular episode made me think of. This beautiful song from The Wedding Singer, the Broadway version, and it was, in fact, sung by Laura Benanti called Come Out of the Dumpster, which is about exactly what you think it is. (laughs) It is a guy who's literally stuck in a dumpster full of garbage. (laughs) But it is also one of Kelly Olsen's favorite things, a metaphor about overcoming emotional trauma. Wow. So very fitting kind of connection. In this episode, we'll start referring to their various assortment of core beliefs and traumatic experiences as their their dumpsters. Well, as the song says, your your metaphorical dumpster is a stumbling block that you can't ignore, but you have to Mm. overcome it so that you can climb out and you climb out by holding someone else's hand and letting them help you. (sighs) It's great. It's perfect. It's what Trash Monster would want. (laughs) It is. It is what you would want. May he um, rest in peace. Also, speaking of Trash Monster, Brainy's trash talk at right. the Trash Monster was amazing. And it was mm-hmm. great to know that Jesse apparently improvised a lot of it because uh, <laughs> the Roomba thing just about did me in. It was hilarious. <laughs> yes, quite good. And then on that note, the closing beat of this episode, so kind of in the style of Seasons Past, where they have like a nice emotional scene at the end and then a little teaser to kind of give mm-hmm. you that forward momentum into what's coming up, was uh, Nia waking up and just saying Nixley, hmm. who we haven't seen yet, even though she's arrived. Mm-hmm. What's she up to? Yeah, next week's episode will focus on episode 609, Dream Weaver. So mm-hmm. be excited for that. Yes. Also, if you haven't caught our guest appearance on The Game of Nerds, that episode is live. You can find it on The Game of Nerds Instagram, their Tumblr, their main website, or any podcasting app you have. It was a good time. Yeah. (laughs) It was really fun getting to explain Supergirl to people who don't know a whole lot about the show. It's a very different conversation than we normally have, so it was fun. Truly. And thank you to everyone who has so far donated to our production fundraiser. Yeah. That is still up on supergirlsaddict.com. And you will gain access to the pilot commentary that we did if you donate. So Yes, please do. We are a little bit over halfway to our goal. So if you've been meaning to come click on the link, please do. We would very much appreciate it. Mm -hmm. If you have any feedback you want to give us, if you have things you'd like us to maybe comment on next week, Mm-hmm. or characters that you think could do with a little bit more examination, feel free to send us your thoughts at Supergirls Attic on Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram. And thanks for listening.